Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. When you read some parts of the Bible, like the letter to the Hebrews, you come across strange things sometimes. Like you read about priests and tabernacles and sanctuaries and gifts and sacrifices and Levites. And you may be wondering, what does this have to do with my life? Well, I'm here to tell you that it has to do uh, with everything in your life. If you want to worship God and live as a great Catholic, you just have to have a key to unlock the mysteries in some of these books and passages of the Bible. And I, I also want to share with you that there is good news, that there is a great key out there to help us. And it's a brand new book and video program series written by a good friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Swafford at Benedictine College. He's an associate professor of theology there. And I have him as a special guest on the show today to unlock the mystery of the letter to the Hebrews. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Dr. Sri, it's so good to be on with you. What a pleasure. Well, I have to tell everybody here that uh, not only are you an author, an amazing teacher, but as I mentioned in the intro here, you, you've been a longtime friend. So uh, I knew Andrew in, uh, he was Andy Swafford at Benedictine College, and he was a, a student of mine many, many years ago, uh, and definitely one of the, the brightest, most passionate students uh, that, that came from the football team, and he came to play football at Benedictine College, but uh, found Jesus at a deeper level, and then ended up being a theology philosophy major. And you've gone on to do master's work in scripture and, and then also move on to do your doctorate in theology. And, and you've been teaching now for how many years at Benedictine? Uh, third, I just finished 13. 13 years of Benedictine. So he's finished longer than I, I was there for nine years and you're, you've, you've been there longer now. Um, it's a wonderful school. And, and to really kind of tie a bow on this story uh, of our friendship, uh, I have a freshman daughter who, who just finished her freshman year at Benedictine College and she got to take a class. She was so excited. The class was full because Dr. Swafford's classes are always full. Uh, but she went in begging, could you please let me in? And so she got to do a class with Dr. Swafford this year and, uh, and has got to know him. And, and, and so it's like full circle. I, I'm, so, I'm so thrilled that uh, a great professor like you uh, is, is, is helping form my daughter and her desire to be a theology major there at Benedictine. <laughs> well, it's just such a blessing. And it's it's pretty surreal to think about uh, having having your daughter, having Madeline class and and uh, just standing in your your uh, your shoes, your footsteps and just uh, kind of takes you back to all those years so long ago. So it's uh, what a blessing. Well, I, I'm so thrilled with all the work you've been doing. Uh, there's a number of books that you've already written, but this one to me is most fascinating. I've been thinking about just in my own life, I, I've not spent a lot of time teaching Hebrews. I've done so many sections of the New Testament, but it has been a long time since I've delved into Hebrews. And I'm so thrilled that there's uh, this resource that you have available. It's called Hebrews, the New and Eternal Covenant. Uh, and so there's this book that you've written that I'm eager to get my hands on because I want to take it to the chapel and pray through this. This this letter is very complex. It's uh, but yet I I know with your teaching you you're going to open it up and make it very easy for people to to get into to understand to apply to their lives. But there's also an eight part video series that goes with this. But let me just ask you this, Doctor Swafford, tell me why 
why is the, the, the book of Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews, why is it so important for our times today? I mean, like I said in the intro, I mean, it talks about all these things from the Old Testament. Things are outdated. We don't need to go sacrifice these animals anymore. We don't need a Levitical priesthood anymore. Uh, we don't need the tabernacle and the temple and all this. Like, what, why, why do I need this, this, this part of the Bible for my life today? You know, preparing for this uh, study, um, I I just love this book. And I would say uh, Hebrews is kind of like walking into the holy of holies of biblical theology. So you think about the ancient temple and you have the three-part structure and in the holy of holies is where God dwelt. And in that place, only the high priest could go and only once a year on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur. Uh, Hebrews, in a majestic way, just distills and unveils the way in which Christ fulfills the old covenant, fulfills the movement from the earthly to the heavenly. And in Christ, as the catechism puts it, heaven and earth are reconciled. Uh, so what you really get a powerful sense of in Hebrews, and again, you have to know the story that's going on before. So if, if you don't, then obviously it's it, we're, we're lost, just like we were if you tune into the, you know, I, I remember very vividly, Dr. Sri, uh, in your class, he's talking about watching the end of a great movie. And uh, if you haven't seen the hour and a half that's gone before, and you're not going to get as much out of it, that the Bible's not like March Madness, as you used to say. Uh, but when you really do that homework and you kind of trace out the thought, um, what you get out of Hebrews is that the new covenant is not a text. It's a living liturgical reality. And in a real sense, we could dive more deeply into this, the Eucharist. The Eucharist is really the fulfillment of the entire biblical story. And really in the first generation of Christians, you get this coming out in full display with Hebrews in the context of suffering and persecution and this exhortation to cling to the heavenly new covenant, which is Jesus Christ risen among us and present most singularly in the Holy Eucharist. Tell me more about that. Where, where, give me some examples. Maybe let's just start with one example where knowing that Old Testament story is going to help unpack something powerful from from hebrews that helps us understand whether it's the mass or the priesthood or the eucharist and give us one example of that yeah you know that's uh, i mean there's so many to pick from um think about let's go to jesus first think about the cross when jesus is on the cross if you if you look at matthew mark and luke the veil in the temple is torn the veil is torn now that veil is a reference to the veil that separated the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and the temple. So again, these sanctuaries of ancient Israel, and it, 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 let me just go back to Sinai real quick, Mount Sinai. So Israel comes out of Egypt in Exodus 14. They finally arrive to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And Moses is given the 10 commandments and you have this kind of covenant ratification ceremony. The covenant is a family bond. Um, and in Exodus 24, you have Moses offering the sacrifice and using the words, behold, the blood of the covenant. The very same words Jesus picks up at the Last Supper, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Um, and then, and then uh, that's in Exodus 24, verse 8. Three verses later in verse 11, you have this communion meal on top of Mount Sinai in the very presence of God. And Sinai there, this is where God dwells. This is like entering, is, is almost a prototype of heaven itself, God's presence. And then Moses is then given the instructions for the tabernacle in the next chapter. And he's told explicitly to make the tabernacle according to the, quote, pattern, the tavneeth that's being shown you on the mountain. And what that gives rise to then is this lively sense that the tabernacle, the, the, the liturgy there is an imitation of the heavenly liturgy. Um, so 
one of the things, for example, you have in the tabernacle is you have the, the bread of the presence, the lechem hapanim, which is sort of a uh, bread, sacred bread in the holy place. The priest would eat every Sabbath. And it's really a communion meal memorializing and participating in that, that original sacred banquet meal on the top of Mount Sinai. And this whole dynamic gives rise to a lively messianic expectation that in the messianic age, there'll be this messianic banquet, this banquet meal in the very presence of God. And that's what Jesus is doing at the Last Supper and through the Eucharist. So let, let's go to the veil, though, real quick, the Torah, Jesus' death. Um, this veil, again, uh, was the, it separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And as I said, only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. And so the tabernacle, on the one hand, is a great gift. It's the Sinai presence of God going with his people. But what also happens at Sinai is this golden calf episode. Uh, this And what the ancient rabbis, and you may have heard of the golden calf, and um, the ancient rabbis used to say that what the forbidden fruit was to Adam, the golden calf was to Israel. It's sort of like this iconic sin. And you also have to keep in mind, Israel's story always embodies humanity's story. So it's not just what's wrong with Israel. It's This is just an emblematic of human dysfunction and our alienation from the Lord ever since the garden. Um, it's the golden calf that sets in motion, though, this tabernacle apparatus. And so on the one hand, the tabernacle is a great gift. It's God's presence that goes with his people. On the other hand, you get this sense that God's presence is withdrawn from his people, that only the high priest now can go to the Holy Holies and only once a year. And, um, why, is, and why is that? Is that because of the, the sin, right? That yeah, the, place there. <laughs> the sin of the golden calf requires kind of a, a uh, rehabilitation period, a kind of remedial period. So, for example, after the golden calf, this is when the Levites become the priests uh, instead of what was before that was like sort of a patriarchal priesthood where every father in the home was sort of a spiritual leader and priest. Um, now, after the golden calf, for the first time, you have daily mandatory sacrifices. So you may wonder, why all these sacrifices? You have sacrificed before this, but it's a matter of uh, making covenants or thanksgiving and praise to God. But after the golden calf, it's daily and mandatory. And part of that's because the golden calf is a return to idolatry, Egyptian idolatry. And one level of sacrificial uh, meaning is to undo Israel's addiction to idolatry. Uh, and then you also get what I call this program of separation, where Israel's told, don't be like the nations, be separate, be separate, be separate. You can find that in Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 5, Leviticus 20, verse 23, uh, and the like. And that just continues in Deuteronomy. So um, this, this is part of what Paul means when he says in Galatians 3.19 that the, quote, law was added because of transgression, that you have this fall and then you get this increase of law. So on the one hand, it's a great gift. It's God's presence goes with us people, but it's also a sense of God's presence withdrawing from his people. When Jesus dies on the cross and that veil tears, it really means two things. One, the imminent giving way and demise of the old covenant and the old covenant embodied in the earthly temple, but also the unleashing of God's presence to the world. And so just think about this for a second. Um, back then, only the high priest could go into God's presence and only once a year. Now, anybody anywhere can go before our Lord in the tabernacle and any Catholic church all over the world. Do we realize the great gift that we have? Um, and, and let's now come to Hebrews. Uh, what Hebrews is all about is that Jesus has offered the most perfect sacrifice. He offers himself. Uh, and Jesus offers himself not just on the cross, but already at the Last Supper, not just there. He rises and ascends into heaven and presents this glorified self-offering to the Father in heaven. That Jesus' sacrifice takes place in the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary. If you look at Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, it talks about how now we have access to this heavenly holy of holies. Now, how? It says, through the curtain 
a reference to that veil or curtain, the Torah at his death, that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place through the curtain, which is, quote, his flesh. And that's a Eucharistic reference. So what, he, what Hebrews is saying is we can enter the heavenly holy of holies through the Eucharistic flesh of Jesus. If we just take that seriously for a second, that should give us Holy Ghost bumps. I mean, that, that, that do we realize the heavenly grandeur force? And I'd say that's one of the themes of my study is, do we realize, because what Hebrews is very clear on, is wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. Wherever the Eucharist is, there is the king. And when he comes at the end of time, he won't have an ounce more glory than he does right now in the Blessed Sacrament. The only difference will be in our ability to see. Yeah, there's a lot there. Are you, are you all catching that? Yeah, I just asked him, hey, tell me one little example of, of how we can you know, learn from the letter to the Hebrews in light of Old Testament background. And I just want to linger on that theme a little bit more, this idea of the, the veil of the temple being torn, just to make sure that all, all the listeners are, are catching that, right? So there, there's a veil that was there separating the, the innermost sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and as you mentioned multiple times, that the Jewish people couldn't go near there. Uh, and, and why is that? Originally, God's presence was dwelling, you know, right there at Mount Sinai, came down upon not just Moses, but Nadab, Abihu, Aaron, you know, and, and all the people heard God's voice at Mount Sinai. All the people saw his glory come down on the mountain in the form of a cloud. So you get the sense of God's presence drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. But then as a, as a result of that great fall at Mount Sinai, that, that moment of worshiping the golden calf, uh, and then other repeated sins throughout their desert journeys, they, there's a there's a separation from the people. God's still dwelling with them in the tabernacle, but he, he's not he's not as close. In other words, like he's he's there in the tabernacle, but people can't draw near. Just just the high priest, and uh, and and that lingers on when Israel builds a temple in Jerusalem, and so there's this veil, this, this dividing us. And and Paul writes about this idea in, in Ephesians. He alludes to it in other places. So th- what a powerful symbolism, though, right there in, in Hebrews, bringing this out more than anywhere else in, in the New Testament, right? That that now we have we have access. Now we can draw near it, and now we can encounter the living God in this profound way. Now, you mentioned that. Uh, everybody has access today and we can just go, you know, to, to, to through the veil to see Jesus. But actually, Andy, in light of COVID-19, a lot of us haven't been able to, right? It's almost like we're going back in the Old Testament days where Jesus is a little bit farther. <laughs> he feels like, thanks be to God, things are opening up. Uh, what would you say in light of of this now as people are just starting to go back to, um, to their churches? Uh, and there's still some places where in situations in life where people may feel like they, it's not safe for them. They don't want to go yet. And, and that's, a, that's, you know, the church is allowing the dispensation for that. But what would you, what would you say in this time of transition as we're, we're coming, as, as if we're coming back to the tabernacle and, and we have the chance to go in, at least some of us do on some level, at some frequency, and then others may want to pull back. Uh, what, what might Hebrews have to offer us uh, in the, in these days as we're transitioning back to the mass? Gosh, gosh, gosh. Um, This is why I sense such timeliness in preparing, you know, uh, preparing this study. And and obviously when I was writing the book, um, all this wasn't uh, quite here yet. But um, just because we've been doing, you know, I mean, at home, we've been praying the Liturgy of the Hours, for example, as a family and and watching masses online and and people are doing Bibles, which is all wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, But there's a real sense in which the study of the sacred page should lead us to Jesus's presence in the Holy Eucharist, that that's the goal. Um, 
you mentioned the access to God, divine intimacy is a big theme in Hebrews. If you look at Hebrews 4.14, it talks about how we have access to the throne of grace, which is a reference to the mercy seat, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the, the most sacred uh, place where God dwelt, and that was kept in the Holy of Holies. And it says we have access with boldness. And the Greek word there is parousia. Uh, it, it, it's sort of the filial boldness, the boldness of a child, not an employee, not a servant, not someone who hopes that the coach doesn't cut them. The boldness of a child, that's the access to our Lord that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, I pray that we don't, you know, I think a lot of us, if they say familiar, familiarity breeds contempt, a lot of us have been away from our Lord in the Eucharist. And I think a lot of us have really recovered that longing to be near him in that way again. Um, and if I could kind of pull a couple things together, you know, we're, uh, we've got COVID, we, we have the tragic, tragic death of George Floyd and, and all these things that are rocking our country as we speak. Sacrifice in the Bible is really a ritualized self-offering. Why is Christ's sacrifice so perfect? Because you have the perfect union of priest and victim, of the one offering and what is offered. Jesus offers his very self. But as Christians, we don't just simply stand by and watch. We enter into that sacrifice. What does St. Paul say? Make of your bodies a living sacrifice in Romans 12, 2. Um, that begins in our baptism. It continues to the Spirit's ongoing transformation of our lives. It's consummated the Holy Eucharist, whereby we are offered up in Him, with Him, and through Him. But that should lead to a transformation of our lives, that Christ may increase and we may decrease, as John the Baptist says. Um, in other words, we should not have this pit of social justice against the Eucharist. This should lead to our lives becoming a total outpouring of love, uh, making ourselves a living sacrifice. So we really, I think, need to bridge these gaps and enter fully into Christ. Uh, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.21, one of my favorite verses. Uh, there's no contradiction between our worship of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament and our laying of our lives down for the poor. Well, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Swafford, professor, associate professor of theology at Benedictine College and the author of a brand new book called Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant. He's also the presenter of an accompanying eight part video series that can be used for small groups. And if you're looking for something for Bible study this summer into the next year, uh, this might be a great, a, a great resource to consider, especially if you want to know the connections between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Testament priesthood, the New Testament priesthood, the old tabernacle and the gift of the Eucharist and the liturgy and the, in the new. All of that is, is found in Hebrews. And again, the book is called Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant. One last question for you here, uh, Dr. Swafford. Tell me, uh, if, if you had a chance and someone just said to you, why, why should I study Hebrews? <laughs> of all the books of the Bible, there, there's so many other books I could spend time with. Why not the Psalms or why not the Gospels? You know, wh why Hebrews? What would you say to him? Hmm. I just think Hebrews in a way like no other book in the New Testament distills the full heavenly grandeur of what's happened and what Christ has done and what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, I, I think too often we think of Christianity, especially in this country, as sort of a simply a moral or a political phenomenon, just be a good Boy Scout or Girl Scout. Obviously, morality is a big part of it. But uh, what I like to say and I, I, uh, to my students and others is it's not simply what, what's the least I got to do to avoid hell. How much of the divine life do you want? 
how, how much of the divine life do you want? I think we short sell what Christianity is all about. I think Hebrews shows us that in Jesus, heaven and earth are reconciled. God wants to be all in all. He wants to fill us with his divine life. And that happens through the gift of the spirit, especially through the sacraments and most especially through the Holy Eucharist. Um, once we see that, you know, and you go back to the Old Testament, you have the Exodus from Egypt to Sinai, but it really leads to worship from liberation to worship. Jesus brings about the new Exodus. We have to ask, and Hebrews gives us to us, what does that mean for worship in the new covenant? It's not just Christ died and that's it. It's enter into this heavenly glorified reality so that God may not just forgive us, but heal and transform us. Amen to that. And we pray as we're again, getting back to the liturgy, back to mass, that uh, that it may have that effect in our lives. So thank you, Dr. Swafford, for being with us. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for teaching Madeline. And uh, thanks most especially for this book. Again, Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant. You can get the book. It's available for pre-order. Uh, so it'll start shipping in August, but it's available for pre-order now. So uh, Andrew, tell us, how can they find that? Yeah, it's just uh, at ascensionpress.com. Okay, so go to ascensionpress.com. You can order the book right now. You can also order the the video series, the eight-part video series, if you're considering that for small groups. And if they want to reach out to you and, and connect with you, where, how do they find you? I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, Andrew uh, underscore Swafford. Uh, Andrew underscore Swafford. Uh, and my uh, wife kind of runs the website that has both of us on it, uh, emotionalvirtue.com, emotionalvirtue.com. All right. Everyone, thanks again for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me as well on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening and God bless.